The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Beth Pinsker, financial planning columnist for Market Watch, and with me today is Tommy Kilgore, Deputy Investing and Companies News Editor for Market Watch. We're here today to talk about how to get started investing. Uh, welcome, Tommy, and welcome everybody who's listening. Thanks, Beth. Um, <laughs> when I got started investing um, back in my early 20s, which was a very, very long time ago, um, you needed like or I thought what you needed to get started was $5,000. Like that was the magic number. Um, and I saved and saved and saved and saved. And I got $5,000 together and my parents found somebody for me to go to at Merrill Lynch. And I went and I put my money in a mutual fund. I have no memory of what that mutual fund was invested in. I don't remember paying any attention to it, but somehow that turned into a down payment on my first uh, apartment. Um, which turned into the house I lived in now and is going to fund my kids' college education. So 25 years later, that $5,000 that I started with has gone through my entire life with me and I'm happy I did it. And I don't like that is what, to me, that's what investing is. That is turning money, a small amount of money into a larger amount of money. And uh, that's where it starts for me. But Tommy, do you remember how you got started investing? Uh, I was looking for a job and I got lucky enough to get a job at a, in, in a trading room and I was uh, trading currencies. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot from that because we made so many trades every day that you, you live a lifetime in just one almost, in, you know, in a day or two. And you make mistakes, you, you know, you win money, you lose money and and uh, I learned a lot from that. Um, the, the, I like what you were saying because uh, you know one of the things that we uh, we learned back then was we called it size for pips. You invest the money and you make a little bit of money, um, but if you do it every day, then it, it turns into a, a lot, you know, over over time. So um, you just stay consistent and and you just keep keep plugging away at it. That is true. Well, back in the day, the reason you needed so much money to get started was that there were trading costs involved. And now to, to trade a stock or trade a mutual fund or ETF, the, the trading costs are virtually zero. And so you can get started with a lot less money. You can get started with $25. You can get started with $50. Um, so today what we're going to do is get into some of the nitty gritty of how to get started um, with that small amount of money, however small it is for you, whether it's $25 or $25,000. And um, I know that most people, when they think about how to get started investment, they think that they're going to talk about what stocks that they should buy. Um, but before we get to that, um, you have to decide where you're going to do that stuff. You're going to have to pick an account and a type of account and learn the distinctions of where you should keep certain money and what it should be invested in. So let's start with some of that nitty gritty, um, the kind of accounts that you would use and uh, the hierarchy of where you would put it. 
if you were getting started investing today, Tommy, like where would you put your first dollar? I, I find something that has, like you said, no minimum and uh, no trading commissions because, uh, you know, just to start with and then see where that takes me. Because the, the, the thing I learned over those years uh, was that the most important, you know, like a, a, a great anecdote, uh, someone, my the trading room chief uh, had a position and uh, he was hungry. So he wanted to go to lunch. So he told me to watch it for him and said, sell it at a good place. And, uh, and you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And so I called around, I asked my friends and and one guy said, that means you sell half of it right away. Because if, if it goes up, then you say, I only sold half. If it goes down, you say, I already sold half and he's happy either way. And I learned something from that in that it, it's about making good decisions with, with the money. So, you know, rather than picking, and it's also about your risk tolerance and about who you are and what type of trader you are and what type of investor you are. So before you pick, you know, an account, you, you have to decide what, what type of investor you are and pick one that you can, that an account that can help you, um, utilize the, you know, the, how to invest that way. So if I were to start right now, I would pick one that's small, um, that you can, there's no minimum, there's no trading it. So you can, you can test it. You can test yourself and see what what type of investor you are and and what kind of risk you can tolerate. Yeah, see, I am a very conservative person when it comes to that. I would start even further back than that. I would say, do you have an emergency fund? Mm -hmm. And that should be considered in the savings bucket. And you should have that in a, a high yield savings account. And if you have money beyond your savings account, um, you should increase your workplace retirement savings rather than put it in a brokerage account first. So uh, if you have a 401k at work or you are eligible to make IRA contributions, I would, I would say start with that and you can trade within those accounts. Um, this, when you have a 401k, you can do all of the things that you want to do with stocks, usually in that 401k and to a limited degree, depending on your company. But if you want to get involved in investing, that's a safe place to do it because you won't have to deal with transaction costs and taxes and all of that kind of stuff that that's going to get complicated for you. If you have a, a brokerage account at some, you know, TD Ameritrade or Vanguard or something. Um, and then this is, I practice what I preach. So I have a 16 year old who has a Roth IRA and I take my kids summer earnings and school time job earnings and I make my kid put them in the Roth IRA. Um, and my kid is 16. And I think that in 60 years or 50 years, my kid is going to thank me because the thousand dollars that he has in there right now, you know, is going to be um, an enormous amount of money with compounded growth of 5% over 50 years. If he never puts in another dime, he's still going to have a lot of money. But if he continues and I put a habit in him of contributing his job money to that Roth 401k, he's going to have quite a bit. I've talked to people who have, you know, they're 30 years old. They have $300,000 in a Roth IRA because their parent made them start at 16 with their, you know, summer babysitting job. So um, that kind of that kind of investing is like what I consider the sort of tax savvy, tax smart investing, where it 
it might not seem as fun, but it really produces results. So that's what I think about before I think about what you're going to invest in is where. But let's talk about some of the mechanics because some of our um, some of our readers uh, and listeners have sent in questions and they want to know like how you actually do it. Like there's one 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 person, Sunny, asks, I want to know how to buy bonds. Um, so Tommy, when when somebody says asks you that question, like how, where do you point them? I, I, I just there's so many different ways you can do it. You, you know, you can get advice and you can get uh, do it on your own. And, and this is where I like to say I trust myself. Uh, more because I've been, uh, I have talked to people, uh, you know, with my, with my parents' retirement stuff, and they've told me things, and it didn't end up being what what I was looking for. So I trust um, myself in how I research things more. So I, I mean, we have a great, you know, something that I didn't have when I was younger. Uh, we could search it on the web and uh, different companies, and you know, rather than always because some people will tell you what they think that you should do. Whereas I trust that I know what I want to do with my money. So I'll, 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 I'll research it myself on, on, on the web. And then I'll, I'll look for accounts um, that, and, and then talk to them. Uh, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me rather than what can you do for me? It's a little bit like online shopping, right? Like you, that's you how just, I, exactly. I believe that's you how buying a grill, you do the same thing. Right. Exactly. That's how I believe, uh, you know, I think that is the the best way, at least for me, because because I I I trust that I know what I want to do with it, rather than have someone tell me what I should do. Because uh, yeah. I don't think and there you, is a should or or you know I don't think there is a should or a, a one you know perfect way of doing anything. Yeah. So I mean, it it literally and the functionality of actually buying the bonds is you go to wherever your account is and you click a few buttons and you press buy and it's just like you bought a sweater right like except that bonds can make money <laughs> so i like to... <laughs> the good the, the one thing you have to remember though is uh, um it is like you know just like sh online shopping because nowadays it's it's so easy you do have to remember there is no you know a, a sweater you can um, you get value from it you you wear it it keeps you warm not all investments have value and and you can lose money from it so uh be careful you know it's not like shopping where you can get it and then just return it so you know keep keep in mind that you you know it is like uh, e-commerce it's so simple nowadays but it's also you know there is there you have to remember that you know you don't get value from it um that you can actually lose money so but, but exactly what you're saying with the commerce thing yeah no i mean the last time i bought um uh, security, uh, a bond in particular, you know, I went to my, my online account, I clicked fixed income, you know, I, there was a drop down. it said, you know, search inventory, I clicked search inventory and it showed me all of my options. There was, there was a tab for CDs. There was a tab for treasuries. There was a tab for bonds, corporate bonds and, and other bonds. And I could, pick and choose. I could see the yields, which is how much money it's going to make at, over the term, whatever the term was, three months, six months, 13 months. And I could 
compare them the same way I would if I were like looking at a grill and saying, okay, this has four burners and this has three burners and this has this many BTUs and, you know, this will be delivered on Friday, but this will be delivered in six weeks. You know, like I could look at all of those options and then I could click, you know, a buy button, like literally that says buy and it goes into my account. It yeah, was that, was that, easy. yeah. But a lot of people don't understand like the different options. So maybe we should just in this, how to get started investing, talk about those a little bit. Um, well, one, one thing is like the ones with coupons, like the, the, the 10 year treasury or something like that, they're supposed to, but that's how, you know, uh, Silicon Valley bank got in trouble because bonds with coupons like that, you know, the prices can go down. So if interest rates go up, you, you get a higher interest rate based on if you bought it now, but if you right. bought it before the interest rates went up, you might actually lose money on those. So you have to Yeah, be this is something that people don't understand. When interest rates go up or down, the price goes the opposite way. Right. The, the, the payout is the same. The yield increases because the price of the bond goes down. So if you owned it at a certain price, you will collect that interest, but the, the actual, the price of the bond goes down. And that's how Silicon Valley um, ended up having so much trouble. Right. They hedged the wrong way. Right. Exactly. They, they didn't, they didn't, well, they knew about it. They just didn't think that it could happen. Well, that brings me to a question that one of our um, listeners asked. Marcy asked, how can we future-proof investments in the current economy? That's what we're talking about right now is that, you know, investments have inherent risk in them and you have to decide how much risk you want. If you have a very short time period that you're investing for, you don't want to take on too much risk. I mean, we live in very volatile times right now. And so if you need that money, say you're saving for a down payment for a house and you want to buy that house in the next year, you don't want to take an, on an investment that might lose money. So you might want to invest in something that's more guaranteed, so to speak. And that would be a fixed income product or even just a savings product. But if you have a longer time horizon, like your retirement, you might want to look at, um, you know, something that might inherently be more risky that might lose money, but over time is more likely to gain a greater percentage, right? So let's talk about some of those investments like ETFs and mutual funds and how you divvy up the, the split of what's risky and what's not risky. There's a lot of talk. I just keep getting all these um, messages in my inbox that the 60-40 portfolio is back. Um, and the 60-40 portfolio was dead like two months ago. So um, when somebody says 60-40, what are they actually like? Talk, what does that mean to you? Well, it means you, you want more riskier um, investments. That's what it sounds like to me. But that's only that depends a lot on like you were saying um, about time. I, I believe investing is three dimensional. It's either up, down, and and there's also time function to it. So 60-40 is okay if you want a riskier a, a basket of investments when you're when you're younger and you retire you're saving for retirement. But if the older you get, the less risk I want. So you know, 60-40 depends on um, what your time frame is. If you're saving for a year, I don't I don't know if I would go 60-40. Um, right. It depends, but, you know, the, the, the longer the time frame that you're looking for, the, the more risk you can take. 
the 60 would be just so we're clear the 60 is stocks and the 40 is oh yeah is some kind of more guaranteed fixed what we what we call fixed income which is government backed securities or bonds of some sort that are that are guaranteed right so i like like you know right now i'm my i don't i've lowered my because i'm you know upper 57 now i i, I don't have a 60 40 anymore um, cause I'm too worried about, you know, I, I'd like to retire soon and I don't, I want to have less risk. So it depends on, I think that, you know, think about that time thing as much as you think about what you want to invest in, think about when you want the money. Right. But most people don't go to zero. They don't go to an, or a hundred percent all fixed income by the time that they're maybe 90, they do, but. But when you're 57, you don't want to be all in fixed income because your growth rate wouldn't be high enough to beat inflation, right? Right. I, I, I still want to make some money right now because I want to, but uh, I, I don't, I'm, a, I'm afraid of losing, you know, the, like the big loss. And, you know, we, I got a little scared recently over the last year, um, but um, things are starting to come back and, you know, I, I did reduce my risk. So I'm a little bit happier about that. But at, at this point I wouldn't, I, I, yeah, you want to think about, um, how much risk you want to take. So I'm one of the things that I do is, you know, I have all this training, right? I've got, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have a securities license and all of that stuff. And I don't like to trade individual stocks. I don't think I've ever purposefully bought an individual stock at all in my whole entire life. Like I was gifted some stock when I graduated from college and um, I got some company stock as um, my matching contribution when I worked at my very first job that was um, great. I thought, this is great. This stock is fantastic. This is a lifelong company. Nothing's going to, bad's going to happen. And so when I left that job, I kept the company stock in where it was, in, in, you know, in my 401k, in company stock, and then they tanked. <laughs> they don't exist anymore. Yeah, the first stock um, I bought was was Pan Am. You know, I watched Scarface. That it said, you know, the the world is yours, and I wanted a. And it was like the biggest airline, and uh, that the now the paper is worth more than the company ever. You know, once. The- yeah. So now I don't invest in individual stocks anymore. I only choose either ETFs or mutual funds. And to be honest, like a lot of people just go straight into what are called target date funds, especially in their retirement accounts. And they're auto invested in target date funds and they just stay there. And what the target date funds do is um, they auto adjust for you over time. So that 60-40 portfolio we were just talking about, gets more conservative as your age, as your retirement age approaches. And there are pluses and minuses to target date funds, but I, I was I was curious what your opinion is on those. Oh, I like those because that takes away the, uh, the, you know, the, the floating thing about time that I was talking about. Um, and, you know, I'm like you, I, I, I like I don't like to invest in individual stocks, but, you know, so sometimes if you if you want to think about it as um, you can't, it's not like a mutual fund is the risk is, 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 you know, you diversify your risk. So you can put money in and forget it and wait till the time comes up. If you're going to do an individual, invest in an individual stock, you kind of, you have to watch it. It's like that idea of, if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket. You got to watch that basket. If you're, yeah. you're going to diversify, you don't have to watch it as much. But so 
you know, keep that in mind too. The, the, the more diversified things are, the less you have to watch it. If you're going to invest in individual stocks, you better keep an eye on it and, and read up and because and, and, the market, the, the, the company changes every quarter now. You know, every time they report earnings, the, they say something new. So if you're going to invest in individual stock, keep a very close eye on it. That is that is good advice. Um, one of our listeners, Gabriel, um, wanted just a point of clarity. Wanted to make sure that uh, treasury bills were considered inside the fixed income, the forty part of the sixty forty, because um, he's seeing really good rates on those. They're in the fours and fives. Well, not quite five anymore, but um, in the fours for treasury bills. And just wanted to make sure that that was what we were talking about. But yes. Uh, any government-backed security is going to be like considered fixed income, right? Yeah, and and um, government or and those are really good because you don't you don't see a um, you don't lose principal on those kind of on, on those things when rates go up either. So those are good good investments. Yeah, so there are treasury bills, which are short-term treasury um, investments. There's treasury notes, which are longer. Treasury bonds, which are even longer. Uh, there are tips, which are inflation protected. And what has been very popular in recent days are I bonds, series I, like the letter I bonds, um, which have been, uh, which are inflation adjusted bonds that are, have been like hitting a peak, but they're almost off their peak. So you have about 10 days left to get I bonds at their, at their high rates and the rates can change May 1st. So if, but those you have to buy direct, like those you can't buy from Fidelity or, you know, T. Rowe Price or any any company like that. You have to go directly to the government to buy those. And they're very popular and they're still very popular because they are protected for inflation. But you got to go to TreasuryDirect.gov to buy them. So we had a question about those, too. Um so there's a question, and I just want to say, if anybody has a question, just put it in the chat, and we're getting to these as we go, and we're going to keep going and answer as many as we can. So if you have something you want to ask, just pop it right in there, and we will uh, do our best. And if not, we will try to find a resource for you. Um, but we have a we have a listener named Michelle, um, who is 50 and has less than 100,000 in retirement savings, which she seems to frame as a as a small as a small amount of money. But that's great. Like that's actually more than the national average. Um, and she's still and, and 50 might sound might sound old, but I'm older than you, and that doesn't sound so old to me. So, um, so good job, Michelle. First of all, um, and she wants to know what she can do this late in the game. Um, my first advice to her would be to max out what she can put in her retirement. If you're 50 or above, you can put an extra, um, 7,500 in. So you can put up to $30,000 in your 401k, um, in a calendar year. And that is, uh, that would nearly, that would add like a huge chunk onto that, uh, $100,000. So that would be my first suggestion. Do you have any suggestions for michelle and tommy yeah it's like you said it's you're doing great michelle so uh i i wouldn't you know worry too much about that i i would i you know i at this my age i'm a little older than you and i i'm a little bit worried about losing money but um i i wouldn't that's i'd probably lower my risk at, at, at you know but um I think what you do is you just keep saving. You just keep saving and you keep adding to it. And uh, that's the best way. Uh, picking, you know, an investment that could make the most money. That's that's the one that you'll never that that can change 
over time. So you don't necessarily want to worry too much about that. It's just keep plugging away at it. That is really good advice. Um, Alexandra asks um, about tips for purchasing more than $10,000 a year in I-bonds. See, I-bonds are still really popular. Um, and so one thing that, that people do um, is buy gifts for other people. And if those other people are your spouse or your children, um, all the better <laughs> for you. Um, but you can buy them in the name of a trust, in the name of a business, and you can hold on to that gift in what's called the gift box. Um, government comes up with great names for things. But that the person who's receiving the gift doesn't actually have to take ownership of it. It can sort of sit in this holding pen and accrue interest while that person, you know, say that person is 16 and you buy them $10,000 in I-bonds and you intend to use that money um, to pay for their college education, for instance. It's just something that I plan on doing. Um, you can give it to that person and then they can, they can sort of access it when they're ready. Um, although if you're planning to use it for college, I would suggest keeping it in your name for the tax benefit. Because um, I wrote an article about this recently. What I'm planning, what I did was put my money for college into I-bonds. And then you can do a direct rollover from I-bonds back into a 529 college savings plan. And that way it um, retains its tax deferred um, uh, advantages. And you can use it for many more things like paying off college loans um, if you don't have to use it for tuition. Um, so that um, that is one way of doing things. And that, that actually feeds into a question we got from Jennifer, um, who is asking, when a kid enters college as a freshman, should the family continue to contribute to the 529 or shift funds to a brokerage account? Tommy, you've got kids in college. <laughs> this is probably oh, no, they've they've left, and uh, yeah. uh, we we kept con we kept uh, contributing until um, you know until we couldn't contribute. We just had to pay it all out at that at that point. So um, until the end. So uh, um, I, I I would continue as much as you can. I mean, because you know it's like um, Leslie also asked about you know people who live paid check the paycheck about, you know, if you don't think you have enough money to invest and if, if you don't feel like you have enough money to save because you're, you have kids in college, every little bit counts. And I, I remember when I started out, I had nothing. And, uh, um, I used to go to the bank, you know, uh, every week and I'd put a dollar. Sometimes I'd only put in a dollar in and, um, or, or $5 or something, and, but it adds up. And after it's like losing weight, right? Like you, you can't lose it all at once. You have to lose little by little. And, um, and uh, and so I, I I kept we kept putting into five twenty nine as long as we could and, and until we used it all up. So yeah, it helps if um, the 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 distinction is really huge if your state offers a tax deduction hmm. because most states if they do offer that deduction like New York for instance offers a five thousand dollar up to five thousand dollars can come off your state taxes. Um, and most don't put a time limit on it. So you can put the money in, take the money out and claim the tax deduction. And, you know, why wouldn't you want to do that? Plus, <laughs> if you put $5,000 that you're going to pay for tuition anyway in a brokerage account and it earns any interest and then you have to sell the investment, you're going to pay taxes on 
whatever it is that that, say that investment went from 5,000 to 5,500. You're going to have to pay taxes, short-term gain or something on your $500 that you earned. And if you put it in the 529 for the year, you can avoid that. Like, why wouldn't you want to avoid taxes? I, I would think that that would, that would be easy. You would save money on the investment taxes and also get an extra tax deduction if your state offers it. Like that would be a, an easy one. But I agree with you on the little by little is is the, the way to go. My um, 529 contributions for my kids, I started um, with $25 a month. $25 a month over and over and over and over again from the time that they were born. And, you know, they're about to go off to college. I feel pretty good about it. Like I have money saved. That's enough to get started that I can look at whatever tuition bills are coming and they scare the heck out of me. Um, Cause we went on these college tours and those places were expensive and I fell in love with them. And now I want to, you know, it's like seeing the most gorgeous dress you've ever seen in the window and you want it. Um, I want to send my kid to one of those places. And now I, you know, I look at the, the, the balance of my 529. And while it's lower than it, it should be, um, there's still money there. And I got that way, but literally $25 at a time. So yeah, it doesn't that's great advice. I, 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 that's, it's true because I, I mean, there wasn't enough in the 529 to pay for, co you know, for everything, but every little bit helped. I mean, that, that helped, it helped a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had college advisors explain it to me as you want a third, you, it's thirds. Like you want to save, you want to save a third, you want to borrow a third and you want to take a third out of your current earnings so that you don't necessarily have to think of college as a, as going all in on it for savings because the price tag is just too high but it's it works the same way if you're saving for a house too like you don't have to look at what real estate costs these days and think i need to save you know whatever it is to buy a house where wherever you live you need 20% you know and sometimes not even that so you know you just need to think in little increments and um just take it, take it step by step. Um, so we have another question, another practical question from T.O., um, who has $170,000 in a money market account. These people are doing great. Um, what, do you, what do you suggest I invest in today? He's 49 or she um, or they, we'll, we'll use a they pronoun, um, and they have a stable government job with a pension. Um, so pensions are rare these days. Like, I don't know too many people with a pension. I just had this discussion with my kids the other day. They asked what a pension was. I'm like, you're never going to have one. So don't even bother. <laughs> um, but pensions are rare and, uh, hang on to that government job with a pension. Um, unless we have a debt limit situation this summer and <laughs> you go on furlough, you're in a good place. Um, but yeah, I mean, Let's talk specifically about what people should invest in these days. Like $170,000 is a lot of money in a money market. Um, and I think this is something we all learned from the, the banking crisis too, is that you don't want to go over those insurance limits. 170,000 is not over the insurance limit, which is 250, but still it makes you think about cash, right? Not all money markets are equal. So there, you can have a money market account that's earning four and a half, but you can also be in something that's 2%. So 
you still got to pay attention, right? Yeah. And, and think about uh, you have, I mean, that sounds like, you know, especially with the age and the amount and the pension that's coming, you have an opportunity to take some risk with that money too. So you can, you know, shoot for a little higher yield with part of that money. Yeah. A lot of people ask me in, in situations like this about um, all at once or little by little. Like if, if this guy has a hundred, this person has $170,000 sitting in cash, basically in a money market account, because money markets are cash equivalents, do they go tomorrow and invest all that money or do they like dribble it out bit by bit waiting for a good market day? That, when I traded, I was a all in kind of guy. Um, but I kept everything small so I could get out of it quickly. Um, but in, in this, but when I'm investing, you know, for retirement, I, I do little by little because um, I can't afford to lose. I don't want to lose money. Um, so I, I would do little by little, you know, finding out when the best time to buy, you know, when a good time to buy into the market, we'll never know that until after the fact. So um, it's, oh, I, I always think it's better to go little by little. That's the thing is we, we don't have to go hundred percent and, and, and think about when you want to sell too, because I think we spend way too much time thinking about when we want to buy and we don't spend any time on when we want to sell. So think about that too. You can sell little by little, um, when, when, when you're starting to worry a little bit, it's, you don't have to sell at all. You can sell little by little. So I, I would, I would go in little by little and out little by little. And let's address some of these questions that we got. We got a couple of questions asking um, about uh, where to find information, um, who to listen to, um, where to, you know, where to, you know, find out what to what to do and who to ask and all that kind of stuff. So um, where do you go when, I mean, besides MarketWatch? Well, I, I, um, I know the type of person, you know, the type of investor I am. Uh, so I seek out people that are similar. I, I don't listen to Warren Buffett because I can't invest like Warren Buffett. Um, so I ask my friends, I ask, I, that's the best, you know, I said, what are you guys doing? And, you know, that always comes up at our age at this point, because we're starting to talk about retirement. Uh, and it's coming up with my son's um, friends too, what they're doing about it. So I, I, I trend, I tend to ask people that are kind of like me. And then I, I, I look around and see what type of um, things I can do. Uh, people that can help me with the type of risk I want. Cause I've, I've talked to uh, uh, certain places and I, I just didn't like, they wanted me to add way more risk than I'm comfortable with. And um, I, I, so I, I don't listen to everybody. Um, I, I try to find people that will do what I want to do rather than what they think I should do. Yeah, that is, that is good advice. Um, I look at it um, from a, what am I paying for, for <laughs> basically if it's free, I, I want to, I want to um, know what the sources are and if I'm paying for it, I want to know what I'm getting for it. And I think the best financial advice comes from people who are actually looking at my particular situation. Um, but that can be hard to sort out too, because, you know, if you go to the guy, you know, it's usually a guy, but um, if you go to the person at the bank, 
you know, you don't know what that person's motivation is. Some people work on commission, some people charge fees. It's not always very transparent. And I, I prefer the, the scenario of paying for somebody's time in like a fee situation. Like I'm going to pay for an hour of your time to look at my financial numbers and really give me specific advice. But that can be hard to find when you don't have a lot of money. It's not really practical to go and pay a financial advisor to look at, you know, the, the woman, the, the person who had $100,000 in her retirement account. It's going to be hard to get somebody to take a look at that who's a professional because there's just not enough money there for them to, you know, take the time. So the important thing I like to get across to people, though, is that it's not that hard to figure out for yourself. Literally all the research that I've ever looked at shows that doing anything and paying any attention has a positive net effect on your savings. The only thing that doesn't work is just pretending it doesn't exist and not doing anything. <laughs> like that never, that never works. Um, so I would suggest just diving in, learning what you can, doing what you can. And if you can't, um, manage the numbers and you think that you can't just pick investments that do it for you. And like we were talking about target date or target mm -hmm. date funds earlier, they'll just do it for you. Then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Remember there is no um, right way or wrong way to do it except you know, doing nothing is maybe the, the 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 one wrong way, but there is no right way. There's no secret uh, because there's millions of people trying to figure this out, and and uh, and they're still trying to figure it out. So there is, you know, whatever works for you. I for financial advice, I I've spoken to a number of them, and I I like the ones that actually ask more questions than they. Sometimes you sit down and they just tell you everything. This is making this much money. You can make this much. Money. I always, one of the first lessons someone told me when I was trading was, you know, don't listen to the guys that tell you how much money they made. Listen to the guys that tell you, you know, how much they lost because they can learn from that. And so ask, you know, find someone that is willing to ask questions rather than just tell you what you should do. Yeah, that is a good segue. I wanted to end with um, talking to some of our listeners who were asking questions about some of the riskier investments. We got a couple of option traders here. Um, somebody was talking about day trading. Um, somebody wanted to know about alternative investments. And um, yeah, I, I, have, um, I have a lot of caution for people who are options trading. There's a whole generation of, of people out there who have not even ever owned a security. They only own the option on the security. And I, I, I think that's a, that for me personally, that makes me nervous. Well, I worked in the, in, you know, I did a lot of options stuff when I was with working with banks and uh, we made a good amount of money, but we made it from selling options um, because we, but we had ways to, to hedge that risk. Um, buying options is like, um, is betting on something that isn't expected to happen. It's like, uh, like if you're betting on, on a, on a sport, on a, on a football game, you, it's like paying away. It's like expecting the, the point spreads, you know, it, it, options aren't supposed to, aren't supposed to happen. Uh, so you're betting against what is expected. And, um, so I don't, I, I mean, uh, there, there's a, we usually used buying options to hedge risk. Um, we didn't use it to make money, um, so but you I, have to pay no matter what, because you got a salary. 
Right, right. So, and, and, and you know, I didn't, I didn't have to worry about it. So, uh, so I, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, I mean, there, it is a way to make some money. Um, I, I don't think, I think of it as riskier because it's not expected to, to make money if you, if you buy the option. Um, there's a question from Kimberly about IPOs. Th those are throwing darts at a, it's almost like throwing darts at a board because you don't, you don't know, you don't, you don't have the information that other, that you have from other public companies. They don't, you know, you start, you, you don't see their earnings reports. You don't see any of those things until after they start reporting. So uh, there isn't a lot you can learn from that. Um, you can like the company, you can like their product, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a, it, it's run well until you see what, how they report. So, um, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say don't invest in them. I would say be very careful and do your homework on them. And, and because there's, there's, and, and watch it and watch it very closely. Don't just buy it and forget it. Um, those are because, you know, again, you'll, you'll learn everything from every three months, they have to tell you things and, and listen to them, listen to what management says, listen, look at their number, you know, see if they beat expectations. If There's a lot of things that you can learn from companies that report results. Yeah, I worked for a lot of startups and I had all sorts of, you know, options, you know, stock options before an IPO in, was intended. And basically it was coloring paper for my children. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't know, like that, that's where my brain is on that. But um, I think we've gone through a lot of these questions. We're running a little short on time. So I think that's where we're going to have to wrap it up for today. Um, but thank you for being here and listening to us. And Tommy, thank you for being here. Well, thanks, um, thank for our you. audience, um, April is Financial Literacy Month, and Market Watch is um, Market Watch published a financial literacy quiz, and the link to the quiz is in the chat below. And we hope that you enjoy it and are able to learn something new. We also hope you'll join us again tomorrow where we'll be discussing crypto. It's been a year since the crypto ecosystem system suffered a meltdown of epic proportions. Financial News Report will be joined by experts to discuss what comes next. And as we approach the one year anniversary of the crypto winter. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.